and to continue to search out your, your own inner consciousness. And, and it's something I call your inner resonance signature. It's this, it's this frequency that is just you that very often gets kind of, um, you know, if you look at yourself as an onion and, you know, we have all these layers of social conditioning that have determined who we are, but then there's this inner resonance frequency signature that is specifically us and that once we can peel off all this social conditioning we get to see who we are we get to feel who we are and you will always love that who you are we can't always stay there because the social world the, the outside world will always infringe on it but once you're able to feel that and you know you can viscerally have that experience you can always get back to it this is unconditioning Discovering the Voice Within, with Whitney Ann Jenkins. Hello and welcome to the 61st episode of Unconditioning, Discovering the Voice Within, where I bring on guests and we talk about the inner authentic voice and the challenges and the rewards that come from following it. This week, I have with me Linda Polio. She is a consciousness doula and author of multi-award-winning best-selling visionary novel, Trusting the Currents. Linda has always been deeply committed to elevating human consciousness. This life purpose has guided her as an accomplished New York advertising executive, as a thought leader in conscious business and communications practices, and as the world's first chief consciousness officer at a global futurist marketing consultancy. She's experienced in various spiritual disciplines, energetic practices, and healing modalities. And as a consciousness doula, she helps people understand and connect to energetic frequencies that expand self-awareness for personal and global transformation. She believes we are all in the process of becoming something unexpected and that the answers lie in the heart. Linda is an empath, INFP and HSP, and now lives in Sedona, Arizona after leaving New York City. She is currently creating her first live online workshop series, Wisdom Keeping, to assist those stepping into a new consciousness. I had a wonderful time talking to Linda and learning about her path and her journey, and she had so much wisdom to share, and I'm really delighted to be able to share this conversation with you. So here is Linda Polio. I love all of the consciousness topics. I'm, I'm, I get kind of like geeked out about that. So I'm really excited to talk to you. A consciousness geek, that's a good thing. We need more yeah. consciousness geeks. You know, we have a lot of tech geeks out there, but right. you know, I always say that, you know, consciousness is, is uh, the, the human technologies of wisdom, intuition, compassion, empathy, forgiveness, and gratitude. And we need more geeks we need yeah. more consciousness geeks in the world. Well, I will step up to that plate. Good. <laughs> so, because of your life trajectory of all of the places that you've been and gone through and how you're leading other people through consciousness, mm -hmm. you had to experience a lot of things along the way to get to where you are. Oh, yeah. And so one of the first things that I like to ask as far as questions go, as we were talking about questions, is... When is the first time that you realized that you had an inner voice of your own and that you were able to follow it? Okay. Well, I, mean, I think I've always had an inner voice. I think when I was young, my inner voice was probably stronger. It was actually way stronger than my external voice um, because I was very shy as a child. I stuttered when I was a child. Um, I had a lot of conflict in my family. My father was an alcoholic. So, you know, I, I just was, and I was tiny. I was a really tiny human. So I think I really didn't feel so connected to the planet in many ways and didn't feel connected to other people. So I had a very strong inner life. I was highly creative and, you know, mm -hmm. I was communicating with insects and, you know, having all kinds of what you know would now be considered mystical experiences but when I was a child I didn't know that so I had a very rich inner voice when I was a child but of course as you grow up and right. people tell you that it's your imagination you have to you know do this or that in the world to fit into what 
it's expected of you, that inner voice started to disappear um, because I didn't trust her. Right. Uh, because everyone told me I couldn't trust her. So, you know, by the time I got into my 20s and you know, I was by that time beginning to think about moving to New York, which was always a dream of mine. And I was very high energy and I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I was sure that I could conquer the world, <laughs> which I think every 22 year old thinks they feel that way when they're when they're getting sorted out. So, um, you know, that that inner voice really took a backseat to my my external needs to fit into what I wanted, what I thought I wanted for my life anyway. You know, I, I've, I've sort of lived the life that man makes plans and God laughs. You know, I've always <laughs> had plans for my life that always went into different trajectories. And it took me a long time to accept that, that I needed to listen to the inner voice. And, you know, the, the inner voice is there whether you listen to it or not. Right. And it will cut, come out as unexpected events if you're not listening to it. So um, those things happened to me. So I, I spent most of my 20s not listening to my inner voice and you know, trying to find my place in the world and living in New York and doing this job and that job and, and kind of stumbling around. I really never had a focus um, that I wanted to do like many people did when they went to school. I mostly just had a feeling that I was here for something and that it would eventually be revealed to me. But in the meantime, I, I had to fit in, I had to make a living. So I stumbled around in different industries and different careers for most of my 20s until I found um, advertising. When I was in my early 30s, I just decided one day, I, I always was the kind of person who said, oh, I think I'll try that. Mm -hmm. And even though people would tell me I couldn't do it or you don't have any experience, I always just did it anyway. And and kind of stumbled through until I did it well. And then once I did it well, I was kind of bored. I have a very low boredom threshold. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I would go on to something else and nothing really clicked with me. But um, at the time I was dating someone and he was in advertising, he had an agency. Yeah. And I said, oh, you know, it would be fun to be in advertising. I think <laughs> I'm going to be in advertising. And he looked at me and he said, you won't even get a job, uh, an interview, let alone a job. He said, you have no experience. So I said, okay, that's true. But so I wrote a letter to about, I don't know, 10 or 12 heads of advertising agencies. And I gave them all the reasons why they shouldn't hire me because I knew what the objections were going to be. Right. And then I said, if you meet with me, I'll give you the reasons why you should. And when out of that letter, I got maybe six interviews and I got my first job in advertising. And so that worked for me because it was a creative it, then. I don't think it's all that creative now, but then <laughs> it was still a pretty creative industry. So it allowed me to be creative. I'm, I'm very creative. And um, even though I do do art and I obviously write, um, it's creativity is more um, who you are because yeah. it comes out in everything you do. If you're creative, whether you're making a meal or decorating your apartment or interacting with people your ability to be creative is basically your ability to adapt to situations and and create new environments and uh, new sort of you know directions for you so I was always very creative so I was in advertising for quite a while I ran new business for agencies I went up the ranks to executive positions very very quickly very unexpectedly quickly uh, because I was very good at bringing in new business which is what I was doing and at the time I didn't really know it, but I think my ability to work with sort of sales and new business was based on my ability to be able to read people. I'm, I'm very frequency focused and I can feel the frequencies in people. So I was very able to create very strong relationships very quickly that people trusted me and <laughs> they could trust me because I would be honest. So it was, <laughs> trust me. Um, I never did anything I didn't believe in, yeah. um, even if I, you know, I eventually left advertising because it wasn't for me, but when I was doing it, I mean, we, we evolved and we, we very often sort of have a problem with, um, uh, you know, thinking that once we've done something, um, we think it's no longer good. So we sort of condemn people that are doing it now, but it's, that's not the case. I mean, whatever you're doing right now is where you're supposed to be. So 
I think that was how my inner voice got going. And then it just, um, I didn't listen to it for most of my advertising years. And I think it really came back um, with a force. I took care of my father for a year before he died. And I hadn't seen him in 17 years. Mm-hmm. And when I got the call that he had a heart attack, I had at that point been doing some energy work. I had learned therapeutic touch. I had learned Reiki. And I was just beginning to dabble in the energy medicines. And he had had a major heart attack. They expected him to die. I drove to Pennsylvania, where he was living at the time, from from, uh, New York City. And I started doing energy work on him. And he came out of his coma. And he got out of the hospital. And he said, I just want one year with you kids to make up for everything I had done. So the last year of his life, he never drank. I took care of him. And we very much had a redemption of our family unit in that time. Um, Mm. You know, we all together again and and I think you know we got to see our father as the man he was and not the father we needed him to be which was very different you know when right. you need a and he's not there you don't look at where he's come from and you know my father was orphaned and he had a very rough childhood so it enabled me to see him that he was never able to really grow beyond that point and he probably shouldn't have been a father but this is the culture that everyone's a father or a mother so um that's what happened. So I took care of him for a year. He passed. And um, about three days after he died, I heard her voice say, go to Sedona, which is where I live now. And, um, but I didn't until three years ago. And um, I decided to get on a plane. And three weeks later, I was on a plane. I had no idea why I was going, how long I was going for. And I got here and I stayed for five months. And in those five months, I kind of reawoken that inner voice. I reawoken all my childhood spirituality and consciousness and all the things that had been part of me that I had suppressed for literally decades now at that point. And it was a very mystical time for me and it um, really set me on a new course. And that was the beginning of listening to my inner voice in my adult life. Wow, yeah. So New York City has a very different frequency than Sedona. Um, yeah. yeah, which can you, do you want to talk about the difference of, of those energies a little bit? Yeah, well, that, that supported you. When I was in school, I was raised in a very small town in New Jersey. I mean, I literally had 68 kids in my graduating class and, and we all knew each other from kindergarten. So it was, it was, you know, it was more rural at the time. Now it's not, but it was very rural at the time and we all knew each other. Um, so, but, it, and it, and New York City, even though we were only an hour's drive from New York City, it felt like we were on another planet. We had no connection to New York City at that point in time. But from the time I can remember, I wanted to be in New York City. And um, when I finally got out of you know, um, school, college, I went to New York City and um, I loved it. And New York was my town. I, my heart is still in New York City. It has, uh, the thing I love about New York the best is its diversity. Yeah. Uh, there's nowhere in the world where you can be with the amount of people, different thoughts, different races, different religions, different everything, and everyone is accepted. No one cares what you believe or think we're, you know, we were all New Yorkers. And I think, and if you're a New Yorker, that's what comes first. And we're, you know, despite the reputation that New York had, it's a super friendly town. And um, I loved it. And I lived a very New York life. I had a very, you know, sort of glamorous, you know, restaurants and bars. And I did it well. I did New York very, very well. And, but I got to the point where as I got older, I had done it all in New York. And I really, didn't want to work in the same way. You know, I had moved from advertising into conscious business practices and I had been doing that for years in New York, which, you know, was different um, because it was really at the beginning of consciousness and people didn't know what it was. I had to explain it, but I was working in consciousness for, you know, quite a while in New York, but I got to the point where it was time for me to go. And I was also taking care of my mother at that point. So, um, when I came to Sedona, I've been going to Sedona back and forth for, for like 10 years. 
So I'd work in New York, make money. I'd come back here and spend a few months and I would do spiritual study and energetic study, shamanics. And then I'd go back to New York and make money. So I lived between like little black dresses and heels to shorts and sandals hiking for, you know, for over a decade. So it was, it was very, they were very different, but they still, they had a very similar vibe in that um, for me, they were very open. New York was a very open uh, town and so, so was Sedona. Yeah. Uh, but I couldn't get the nature in New York. I am a very big nature hound and it was just, it was just time. I, I just was ready to move. And after my mother passed uh, three years ago, that's when I went, okay, it's time for me to try to spend some time in Sedona living here and that's you know I we arrived during the pandemic it was a crazy experience but yeah <laughs> yeah so I want to go back a little bit to talk about advertising and applying it with consciousness and the intersection of that because that's quite fascinating and not many people do that um, no um yeah I I really wanted advertising agencies. Um, when I came back from, from Sedona, I decided, and this is at the advent of a lot of the more sort of conscious businesses that were, were that were beginning to be born, solar energy, organics, um, personal development was really becoming important. People were, were beginning to look at themselves and the planet and, you know, environmentalism was kind of being born. And so it was, it was in the outskirts, but it really wasn't part of business practices. So when I came back to New York, there were uh, from, uh, come back from Sedona to, to New York, there were actually organizations, Conscious Capitalism and LOHAS that were beginning to emerge that were kind of part of that. They, they really wanted to uh, create businesses and integrate into businesses a, a more conscious approach to business so that the human would become a part of the decision-making process and not just the corporation. You know, we, we, we live in a world where everything revolves around the institutions. You know, humans yeah. revolve around the institutions. And my thinking was that these institutions need to revolve around the humans because we only hear one time. And as far as we know, I mean, who knows, but the incarnation we have here is only here one time. So we really, we want to experience this life as meaningful and joyful as possible. And, um, you know, kind of being fodder for the companies that just sort of use us for the income that we provide to them was not what I was interested in pursuing anymore. Right. So when I came back, I started getting involved with the thought leaders at the time that were doing all these conscious business practices. And that, that was very fulfilling. It was a very fun time. Um, the people that were involved with this were incredibly smart. They were incredibly visionary and they really wanted to make a difference in the world. And that's kind of where the space that I wanted to be. And I was very committed to making a difference in the world in whatever way that I could. So what I tried to do at the time was convince an advertising agency to create a chief consciousness officer position because I believe that just as when digital technologies arrived on the planet and corporations didn't understand these technologies, so they had to create a new position called a chief technology officer, someone who, understand, who understood these digital technologies and could bring them into their consumer and into their employees and into their partnerships. So I looked at consciousness as the arrival of human technologies, which mm. basically to me are wisdom, intuition, compassion, empathy, forgiveness, and gratitude. And I thought that corporations would benefit and they could benefit their employees and their consumers by installing a chief consciousness officer, someone who understood these technologies and understood that consciousness is a technology and is and our frequencies just as digital is and digital technologies are really more masculine they're very external they're all externally oriented where consciousness is an internal technology it's more feminine based so it's more subtle so you you have to have a certain ability with um hearing your inner voice and with going internally into the, your inner universe because our inner universe is as expansive as our external universe 
but we don't spend much time in there. So we don't <laughs> understand it as well. It's like the ocean. We know very little about what's going on in the ocean. It's a, it's a very similar analogy um, because we don't spend much time down there searching and we don't spend much time inside our inner universe learning about what, tech, what the technologies of our consciousness are. So that was really important to me. So I spent years meeting with the heads of agencies, trying to convince them to do that. And I, I got close a couple of times, but they just didn't see, you know, the sort of financial benefit to it, even though I thought it, it would be an enormous financial benefit to have a visionary position like that within the organization. Um, it would really show leadership in a way that most companies don't really have that kind of leadership. But I failed. But finally, um, I convinced a global uh, futurist marketing consultancy um, who was looking to me. I had taken care of my um, mother a couple years when she had, had a stroke. And when I came out of that, um, I had been consulting in conscious business practices for a number of years, but I was so exhausted. I decided, let me just get a job for a while and just do something for someone else and not really have to set myself back up again. So I uh, found this position for a futurist marketing consultancy and it was really a new business position, which I had done a million times. But after I was hired, I convinced the owner uh, to give me the position as the chief consciousness officer. And, and she, to her benefit, she really understood the potential of that. So that was my first time that I was able to really sit with with corporations and with this uh, chief marketing officers and, and chief executive officers of very large companies and begin to educate them to what consciousness was and to the benefits of working with you know, the inner voice that comes with being human. So I did that for about a year and a half. And then I decided to start my own consultancy again because I was really very passionate about the work I was doing and, I, that, and that's all I wanted to do. And so I quit my job and four hours later, my mother fell and shattered her femur. And I went into nine years of 24 seven care. Wow. <laughs> and during that, but during that time, right before that, I had, um, um, had been working on a project and I had begun to hear the voice of an old black Southern woman. And that was an inner voice, but it was not mine because I'm neither black or Southern but she was a very powerful voice. So I started writing down her words and I won't go into the long story behind that, but uh, two years later, I had um, the first draft. It was the channeled um, first draft of, of what became my book, Trusting the Currents. And then that's when my mother basically fell. And the whole time that I was taking care of her because I really, now, after a couple of years, I almost couldn't do any work. I was just, it was 24 seven. It was a very intense time and it was a very deep dark night of the soul for me. I went into very difficult um, self sort of analysis of where mm -hmm. my life was. And, you know, when your life goes, goes in, a in, in a position that you didn't expect it to go, you really look at yourself and you really look at what your expectations are. And it's, a, it's really a time of self-examination of, of your identity. And you have to really look at, is this who I really was or who mm -hmm. am I? So yeah. that's kind of how I got there. Yeah, it sort of yanks you out of like your comfortability and patterns that you've been. Yeah, you get totally, you have, yeah. this, you have this world that you think you're going to inhabit. And you have your plans. And that's what I said, man makes plans and God laughs. And all of a sudden you're, you're in a different position. And here I was, I had been talking about um, consciousness and mm. um, you know, I had been looking at it from the light and the bright part of it, which it really is. I mean, when you first usually get into consciousness and you start moving into that space, there's very often a time of mystical experiences and very um, bright, light around your awareness that um, things are not the way you think it is, but it's very, you're sort of exciting. It's right. exciting time, but eventually because consciousness <laughs> is not all light and bright, you will eventually go into some kind of dark night of the soul <laughs> where you question everything about the world, everything about yourself, 
Um, and it can get very dark and very deep. And learning how to navigate that was, I, I think at that point in time, again, it was, it was training me to investigate deeper parts of myself that I never would have gone on purpose. Yeah, and and trust the currents as your well trust the current, and that began a very uh, because it's funny because the book was not called trusting the currents for most of the time I was writing it, and I was taking care, and I it took me eight years to edit the book because I had no idea that I was going to write this book. I never considered myself a writer. I didn't ever believe I was going to publish it because I was thinking who's going to publish a first-time spiritual novel by a middle-aged white woman writing about a black (laughs) southern girl I was that that was I even I saw the sort of irony and all that so it took me eight years to edit it because I kept giving up on it and I finished it while I was in the midst of taking care of my mother and I remember you know it was like two o'clock in the morning and I you know I was not sleeping at night and I was writing, and when I finished the last edit, I knew it was the last edit, and the book told me that it didn't want to be called what I had called it. It wanted to be called something else, so I started crying. (laughs) I said, you don't have to tell me your name because I'm exhausted, and I can't think of another name. So about a week later, I just heard trusting the currents in my head, and then I read the book with that title in mind and I realized that that's exactly what the book was about it's the book's all about trusting the currents in life no matter where they're taking you even if you can't see that some of the tragedy and the drama that you're going through is actually leading you to the right place that you're supposed to be um so that's how you know kind of that came about yeah that's also I guess you could like spin it as a way of following your voice (laughs) Your inner voice. I did. Yeah, I mean, she. Yeah. It wasn't, and you know, we don't know when. You know, a lot of us that that channel. You know, we don't really know who those these voices are. I mean, we don't know whether they're separate energies from us. We don't know whether they are parts of us, aspects of us, past lives from us. We don't. You know, we really don't know what that voice is. And you know, we can have belief systems. I mean, we all live in belief systems because we don't really know anything. You know, everything that we do in life is a belief system because we're sitting on this marble hurling through space, not really knowing what we're doing here and who we are and what comes before and after our time on the planet here. So, you know, we make up these these little nests of belief systems so that we can live in this world and make sense of it to us. Um, So that's, yeah, it um, it was something that I needed to create so that for me, um, Addie May has been an incredibly influential voice t- to me. She changed the direction of my life. And, and um, I found that when I first wrote the book, I didn't feel like I had any connection to the book. I didn't have any of the experiences in it. And I found that over the time, um, I've actually you know, been its biggest student because mm-hmm. I had many of the experiences. After I wrote about the experiences, then I had them personally. So I was able to oh. really look at that <laughs> okay. from a different perspective. Oh, wow. So that's, that's really fascinating. So you were able to take the lessons that the story that you channeled was teaching you and apply them to your own life. Exactly, without, without knowing that that was going to happen because, um, yeah, I mean, I would, have, I would be having an experience and all of a sudden I would remember a line in the book and I go oh you know and I and that's why like I, I I encourage people who who read the book if they have questions in their life to just ask the question and open the book to any page and I found that it there's very often answers for you um it's a very mystical book in that you know it's a it's basically a basic story of a young black girl in the rural south in the late 1930s and her sort of coming of age but then there are universal messages that are woven through the book that anyone can relate to. And this book has been read by all different races and ages and cultures. And it's just been really interesting to see who are who gets drawn to the book. Yeah. And there's an energetic frequency embedded in the writing 
which brings the reader into their heart as they're reading it. So many people feel a very deep connection to Addie Mae when they're reading it because she brings you, as she tells you her story, she brings you into your own story. So um, I have found that, you know, Addie Mae has been this incredible influence in my life and, you know, she never really existed in any, you know, real way for me. Oh, that's really powerful. It's been, you know, it's, it's, been, yeah. it's been an incredible, I mean, I think the book has been for me, the most meaningful thing I've done in my life, ex except for probably taking care of my mother, um, because that was such a powerful experience because it lasted so long and it was so, um, it was so difficult, but mm -hmm. um, it was something that, you know, I think, you know, we all have mothers and, um, you know, we don't really know what mothers experience in raising us because, yeah. particularly, you know, I think my generation was the first generation of women who really had a choice in life. You know, my mother didn't have a choice. You know, she grew up and she had to get married and she was a very, my, my mother was the first um, female elected town clerk in New Jersey. So she was a very pioneering woman in her own way, although she never would have understood her being that way. And she I mean, she accomplished way more in my in in her life than I've ever accomplished in my life. Yet it was in small ways that most people wouldn't really look at. But um, and I look at you know mothers is you know when they 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 give us so much and they ask so little. Some of them, you know, yeah. they're all very unique mm -hmm. stories. Um, and my mother was not an easy woman. Mm -hmm. But again, you you have to look at. The life that they had growing up yeah. and the life that you you have to look at your ancestral history because mm -hmm. our ancestral history really holds the key to who we are now more than more than anything else because we have these cellular memories that are embedded in us that we don't have any conscious awareness of and then we have the behavioral issues that are passed from generation to generation that are not talked about <laughs> so <laughs> right right so perhaps taking a peek at the undercurrent um yes and allowing that to kind of like bubble up to the surface so that we can trust the current. Exactly, well going, I mean, the biggest <laughs> biggest work we can do right now is, is exploring our own inner universe. There is nothing more important at this point in our history than going in and taking a look at your, your own unconscious trauma because it is deciding your life. It is making your decisions without you knowing it. And if you're not really happy with the people, the places, the things in your life, you have to look at your unconscious traumas. And, you know, once they're conscious, they're easier. I mean, they're, you think they're harder because you have to experience them and feel them, but that's the beginning of healing. If you can't feel them because you don't know they're there, then they're constantly making decisions for you that are not right for you. You know, we have all these patterns, whether they're bad relationships or, we're not eating right or whatever our bad pattern is, it's coming from an unconscious trauma within us. So the more work we do on looking at those in, internal traumas and allowing us to feel them because we spend so much time trying to suppress um, right. bad feelings instead of allowing them to come up and, and really examining them and you know holding them tight and sort of loving them and then letting them go. But um, once, once we do that, then they can go and we don't have to have that pattern anymore that's you know making our decisions yeah allowing ourselves to go through them instead of dancing around them exactly yeah. no dance you can be, dance after they're gone <laughs> yes so so you seem to have had this sort of like voice that you followed throughout your life were was your family encouraging of you following this voice and did they have any kind of did you were you growing up in a spiritual household like how did you come across these concepts of being able to like even be able to define the term of consciousness uh no <laughs> I had no one in my family I came from a very religious catholic family Okay, me too. Um, I can relate. <laughs> so it was all about Jesus. <laughs> and um, I did as a child have a very strong connection to the Virgin Mary, but I was always really connected to, you know, divine feminine energy more than anything else. 
Um, and I was very religious when I was young. When I made my communion, I wanted to be a nun and I prayed all day. But by the time I made my confirmation, when you're, I think, 12 years old, um, by then I was going, wait a minute. You know, I remember having an argument with the priest when I was 12 years old because I had to memorize and I had been very religious and I, they wanted me to memorize all these questions. And I remember thinking, these are stupid questions. You know, <laughs> why do I have to memorize them? I said, I'm, you know, I'm connected to God. You know, I knew as a child that I had this connection to um, an energy bigger than me. And, you know, like I said, I was having all these mystical experiences as a child. And he was so rigid and dogmatic uh, and cold in the way that he, you know, expressed it, that that was the end of the Catholic Church for me. I just decided that um, it didn't care about me or the way that I was experiencing God. So I would, I would go on and look for God in my own way. And um, so I was always sort of the freak in the room as a kid, you know, having these experiences. So I really, like I said, I, I really had to listen to my inner voice. And I learned not to tell people that I was having these experiences when I was very young because it just sort of freaked them out. Um, so I just kept moving on my own. Um, my spirituality just, just sort of continued, um, but it was my own. I just sort of stumbled through it. I always had a very strong connection to nature. Mm -hmm. So I would take care of all kinds of baby birds and animals and, you know, uh, I was out in the woods a lot. We lived in the wood, you know, we lived with woods around us. So I spent a lot of time in the woods. So I was very connected very early on to trees and to nature energies. And I felt the frequencies. I had always been very connected to frequencies. I was always very connected to what I would consider galactic energies. Um, always looking up at the stars and feeling that there was someone up there looking back at me. Yeah. Um, so it was really me. Um, it was no one really supported me. No one really um, joined me in this. I just learned to keep quiet and, and live in my own little internal universe when I was growing up. And like I said, when I, by the time I got older, I just sort of put it aside for a while. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I wish, you know, it would have been great to have to live in a, in a, in a spiritual household or for someone that even... I was very creative as a child and I would draw all the time and I didn't really have any support on that either because I raised in a family where you had to get educated. You know, it was very much, you get educated, you get married, you have babies and then you go on, you know, and fit into the community and live and die. <laughs> That's basically it. You're right. Yeah. I can relate to so much of what you're saying, by the way, um, the way that I was raised and, and grown up and I went to Catholic school too and oh. did the whole thing. Um, so I can, and nature also. Um, but I want to talk about the nature in Sedona for a second, because I've been okay. there and it's a very, it, it has a very specific frequency. Yes, it does. Yes. So how are you using that frequency to your advantage and how are you able to further your own work in your consciousness exploration? Well, Sedona is, it's hard to explain Sedona. Um, if, if you're meant to be here, you will come here. And you know, not everyone that come here has these kinds of experiences, but there are, you know, the Sedona stories we like to say here because so many people have come here with, with, um, you know, they come here with their families. They come here on a weekend, and next thing they know, they're living here. Next thing they know, they go back to where they're from, and they quit their jobs, and they leave their families, and they live here, or they bring their families, and their families are kicking and screaming, going, "Why are we moving to Sedona?" It's just got this powerful pull to certain people. And for me, when I first got here, it was a reawakening of my childhood spirituality. And it was extremely mystical. I was having way a lot of mystical experiences. And then when I left and it wouldn't let me stay, Sedona very often, and most people are not meant to stay here. The Native Americans used to come here um, and they didn't believe anyone should live here because they believed it was sacred land. So they would come here, the different tribes would come here to worship and then they would leave. 
And of course, a white man came here and stayed. So they populated the place. And But the energy here pulls people that usually are going through some type of healing or transformative experience in their life. And it will help to activate that experience, heal it. Sometimes it'll, it's kind of like a healing crisis. It'll bring something up in you that is trying to be seen. So it'll feel like a crisis or a problem, or you'll be very emotional, or you'll be doing things you didn't expect to do. And it is helping you to release these things so that you can see them and then you can begin to, to heal them. And nature plays a big role in it. When I mean, I've always found the nature in Sedona to be way more conscious than anywhere else that I've traveled. I mean, I, you know, feel the consciousness in the rocks and in the insects and in the trees. And there's just a, a, a magical way that nature communicates to you here. And it's, it's profoundly beautiful. So no matter, you know, even if you don't have that kind of connection, just being here to be um, among the rocks and everything is red here. The rocks are all red here because there's a lot of iron. So there's a magnetic quality that is just imbued in the, um, in the canyons here that even if you don't have a spiritual connection, you might feel it because of the magnetism of the iron that are in the rocks. But um, I just, I found it, I find that it holds me to the planet. It grounds me in a way. I'm very cosmic in very many ways. I go up before mm -hmm. I go down. Yeah. And going down is not easy for me. I have to really ground myself. And um, Sedona helps me ground. So when I'm really freaked out about something or I'm feeling disconnected from the world, which right now happens a lot, this is so crazy. Um, I go out and sit under a tree and talk to the tree, and it's amazing. And I wish more people would do that. They don't realize how powerful nature is, and just ask the tree and ask the ground to just take the energy and ground it in, and it it totally opens me back up again and and totally frees me of it's it's almost like a like an energetic cleanse to yeah. kind of release some of the you know, the, the trauma that's banging around inside. Yeah, it's also like um, a recommitment to your choice of being here on this planet. <laughs> yes, yeah, well, that's it. I mean, many times, many times, particularly now, many of us who are on this path, and it really is a path. I mean, it's, I know it sounds trite, the idea that it's a path, but, but consciousness is something that, you know, many, many of us have had it in us for our entire lives, but we're living in a world now that people are beginning to awaken. They're beginning to look at themselves from a way different perspective that they were raised in, that they were told they were. Um, they're not sure exactly what's happening. Um, it can be very confusing and very scary, and particularly in the beginning, extremely isolating, because mostly you'll be around people that will not understand you, that will not understand what you're talking about, and you'll just, you'll just want to be normal again and but once you're out of the cave um there's really no way of going back so you know it's it's like how can you continue to move forward and to and to continue to search out your your own inner consciousness and and it's something i call your inner resonance signature it's this it's this frequency that is just you that very often gets kind of um you know if you look at yourself as an onion and you know we have all these layers of social conditioning that have determined who we are, but then there's this inner resonance frequency signature that is specifically us, and that once we can peel off all this social conditioning, we get to see who we are, we get to feel who we are, and you will always love that who you are. We can't always stay there, because the social world, the, the outside world will always infringe on it. But once you're able to feel that and you know you can viscerally have that experience, you can always get back to it. So that's the place you can always get back to. And then the more times you you go there and you and you nurture that that inner cellular song within you, the more it grows and the stronger it, it becomes until finally it becomes the prevalent frequency and the social conditioning is still there because we're we're patterned human beings 
we're patterned from a time we're born and we're not going to totally release all this patterning, but all, but we can learn that everything we think we know is just a belief system that has been patterned into us so that we can let go of it so we can be less controlled by our environment, less controlled by institutions, less controlled by our own emotions. We're able to realize that our emotional state is not the truth of us. Our emotional state is the way that we're reacting to something that is coming at us. Um, so it's very, it's very important that we kind of get to that inner, that inner part. And being in nature is a big, a big way of getting there because nature will always show you who you really are. Oh yeah, I love that. Peeling the onion layers away to get to our unconditioned self. Yeah, that's and that's. I think when I first came to Sedona that first time, and you know, I was a, I was a daughter, and I was a girlfriend, and I was a business person, and I had all these things that. I was told I was, that I had forgotten who I was as a child and, and what I wanted as a child. And when I first came here, and I I mean, I, I think the Buddhists call it plunging, when you take yourself out of your environment, and I highly recommend people do this, it's harder to do it now with the way the world is, but you, and you take yourself somewhere alone where it's very, it's very different. And Sedona for me was, I didn't, I had never been to the environment before. I didn't know anyone here. I had never come this far West really at that point in time. Um, I went on raw foods when I came here. I started eating completely differently and going through cleanses. So I, and that was, that was the layers of the onion peeling away. And then one day I felt me. And I remember the feeling of, oh, I love her. You know, I forgot who she was. And so that was the place that I tried to build my next life. And that's why when I came back, I started being in conscious business practice, even though I wasn't getting any money and I didn't know anyone else that was doing it. But I had to be true to that, to that um, resonance that I had found in Sedona. And I wanted to cultivate that and and create from that. And when you finally get back to that sort of zero point within you, um, you have to start over again. It's a starting over. You have to find out who that person is and what she really wants or he really wants, and then move from move from that space and start learning and developing and start attracting people who, who are willing to see you as that person instead right. of people who are trying to keep you as who you, you used to be so right. that they don't have to change. And that is a big thing that's happening now. Yeah, it, it's really difficult after you've had that connection with that self that you're describing to reintegrate back into your current environment. Well, that, I mean, and yeah. that's the whole thing now is many people are having that experience. I'm, I'm in the process of putting together a, my first, um, like it'll be like an online workshop series. It's called Wisdom Keeping. And I'm working with a partner, this woman that actually she was the first person that I had done a podcast with. She has an amazing podcast and a platform called Hearts Rise Up. She's all about heart-based, heart-centered being. And um, so we're working on this together and it's and it's and it'll be a seven week program. And it's really meant for people because I've been there and I know the experience of, of you are, you are suddenly beginning to think differently than you have before. And not just think you're feeling like a different person. You want different things. You don't want to, you don't, you look around the world and you look around the environment and the friends around you. And all of a sudden they're not fulfilling you anymore. And you, you maybe want to learn more about consciousness or crystals or, Whatever, whatever thing is around that's out there that is different than you used to be. And when you talk to people around you, they don't understand you and they may, they may criticize you or they may try to humiliate you. And so you keep quiet and you try to fit in and you become more and more isolated and more and more afraid that you're going crazy. So it's how do you move forward from that? So, you know, I'm creating this, this series to help people through the different processes and the different experiences that they may be having so they don't feel so alone and to build a community of people that go okay like let's share our vulnerabilities you know we're all just human beings having this very minuscule experience on this planet and we want it to be as fulfilling and joyful as possible and the world that we're living in now does not really support that 
So, you know, how can we tear apart um, the, the, the social conditionings and the belief systems that are in us so that we can now become something new and unexpected and healthier, like not just physically healthier, but emotionally healthier and energetically healthier and spiritually healthier. Yeah. So I think that's, um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I really, I want to support anyone who is, who is going through that because it is, it is the scariest part of the process. And, you know, I always say consciousness is like, are, are like Russian nesting dolls. You know, you, you're in one consciousness and then all of a sudden it opens up and all of a sudden you see that you were not in, it was not the truth. It was not the whole truth. It was a truth, but not the whole truth. So then, then you're, then you play in that second Russian doll and then you realize, oh, this is, and then you hit the next Russian doll. And so, <laughs> as far as I could tell it's endless, like, I don't think it ever ends. I don't think you right. ever. Yeah. You don't get to just rest and be comfortable in, uh, in your. No, you get to trust the currents. You, right. you get to realize that, um, and you get to look at it as a, um, an adventure, an adventure in consciousness, an adventure in who you are. And, you know, particularly if you get to the point where you truly believe, now we don't know, that there is something beyond this life, you realize that this is just sort of a blip in the, you know, in our experience as whatever beings we are. So you want to have as best experience as possible. You want to learn as much as you can about yourself and about consciousness and about, um, you know, I, I always look at spirituality as what is just yet unseen. So I love being in the unseen and the unknown because that's really the place of growth and expansion and creativity. You know, once we know something, where is it to go? It's, it's really when we don't know something, which is the scariest place to be, but it's also the most exciting place to be. And, yeah. and, that's, what, and that's what consciousness is. You know, consciousness allows you to be in these places, realizing that um, it's way more um, interesting and exciting and, and sort of, I don't know, just big. It's a big world out there once you go beyond um, what you're told that you're supposed to be yeah so thank you for uh, doing all this work within that realm because as each of us dive into consciousness further then it has a ripple effect right and so it affects the collective consciousness We're all pieces of a puzzle yeah. you know, and everyone is there for a reason you know I, I talk I, I talk to people a lot that are that are on this kind of conscious path and they don't know what to do and they feel like they're failing and they feel like they're not really you know that you know they don't have their purpose and you know your mere presence on the planet is is your purpose i mean we're all where we're supposed to be because you know we are bringing in these frequencies this is what i believe anyway we, we are bringing in these frequencies and these energies that are you know universal and where you are and what you're doing on the planet you are modeling these frequencies and you are bringing them into the earth and you are you are emanating these frequencies to other people around you so that you are influencing them whether you know it or not. I always say that all the work we do, uh, all of us that are doing work in consciousness, you know, we, this is sort of the exhaust system that your, your success is merely being here because your success is in doing the work on yourself. That is the success. And you don't have to have a huge external influence on the rest of the planet. That is what the, that's what our culture tells you because we're so externally focused, but the more you go inside and you start seeing how huge your inner universe is, the more you realize that there's so much to experience internally that um, everything you do for it is just the exhaust system. And it's great, it makes you feel good, but your success just being here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I thought it interesting that you were applying consciousness to your advertising world um, because the collective consciousness is perhaps, or collective unconsciousness is perhaps yeah. a, a mirror to the advertising world and an expression of how we are currently as a society. So that's kind of fascinating to think about. Yeah, well, I mean, I think we're, you know, 
we're living in an unconscious world. And we're just, and the reason we know we're living in an unconscious world is because we're becoming conscious. We were, we were always <laughs> living in an unconscious world. We just didn't know it. But right. now we need to wake up and we're beginning to see the things that were wrong. I mean, we, we talk about going back to a time when things were good. Well, there was never a time when things were good. If you were a black or you were a woman or you were disabled or you were anything except you know, on top of the world and it was not good. So we are now beginning to see all the things that we have done wrong in our world as human beings having this sort of experience here. And so it's, and you know, advertising and corporations and all of that, you know, they weren't doing anything wrong. They were part of the world that we were living in. They, we had, they were part of the secular ship from, from the agriculture to the industrial revolution to the digital revolution. It's a, it's, it was a natural progression of consciousness. And now we have shifted, we are shifting from the digital secular shift to the consciousness shift. So that's why more and more people are beginning to question. And that's why I believe questions are so important right now. Because if you don't ask the right questions, you'll never know the right answers. And you know the powers that be, whoever they are, they don't want things to change because they're doing quite well the way they are. And so they will try to focus your questions in areas that they can answer instead right. of you learning the right questions so that you're forcing new answers to emerge. And mostly it's about answering, it's asking questions of yourself. But again, I keep going back to, you know, disconnecting from the outside world as much as possible and connecting to your internal voice and then connecting to the internal voice of other people who are having the same experience. And that's how everything will shift because this is a one way this is one way we're not going back. There is no going back to where we used to be. You know, I was, I have a poster in my bathroom. It was my mother's campaign poster in 1978. And, um, and I look at like 1978 was like, you know, 25 years ago, 50 years ago. Let's say, let's say if you look at 50 years ago, it's, it's, it's basically what, 1972 is 50 years ago? Is that right? Nothing. And if you look at 50 years before that, it was the 20s. Yeah. So look at how we've changed. From the, it changed from the 20s to the 70s. Now we're from the 70s to the 2023 we're going into, how much we've changed. Can you imagine? And everything is speeding up. So our changes are becoming so quick that in the next five years, we won't, we won't recognize who we are as a species, but we get to choose who that is. And you know, we get to choose, are we going to be going into a time where we're more controlled and we're listening to AI and we're going into deeper technologies where everyone has to decide, um, I don't know, it just, it just seems very cold. Or do we want to go into a time where we're really looking at our deep humanity and we're getting back into our own consciousness and are interconnected to each other and, and to the planet? I mean, do we want to go find Mars and populate Mars or do we just want to make Earth healthier? Right. Yeah. And connect to ourselves and the technology of energy, which can be even more advanced than the latest forms of technology that are out there. These are technologies. It's just that no one is putting, no one is researching them. There's no money going into the investigation of consciousness and the frequencies that are involved in consciousness and the frequencies of, of, of you know, light and sound and nature and the sun. And we have solar energy, but there are frequencies coming off of the sun that we could harness in ways that we don't know. But where we're, you know, we're, we're only focused on one place. So, you know, what we really need is people that have the money that are, that are really looking for major, major innovation and change in the world to put that money into consciousness and what is consciousness and how, how can we work with these different frequencies 
and then see where we come. I mean, it's easy to say these things don't work, but they've never been really investigated. Um, you know, there should be more money going into light therapy than pharmaceuticals at this point, because right. pharmaceuticals are really causing problems. I mean, I'm, I'm very much about let's create not so much saving the old world, but let's focus our, our energies in building is in building something new and better that serves all of us yeah. and, um, and helps people really become something more meaningful. Yeah. And, and for me, uh, creativity is an outward expression of our internal selves. Yes. And as we grow consciously, then we'll be able to innovate in more rapid, better, I don't want to say better, but more innovative ways. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I mean, I think that's, I think that's, that's very true. I mean, creativity is all around us. You know, I, when I think about writing the book, I think, okay, Addie Mae came to me and I could have easily have said, no, uh, I'm too busy. I'm not listening to this crazy voice in my head who's telling me to tell, tell her story. I have work to do, go away. And I could have pushed it away and not had the book, but I'm pretty sure that that voice would have gone to someone else because we don't know what creativity is. You know, all artists are pulling, real artists are pulling from this etheric world and they're bringing art, whether it's writing or performance art or, you know, painting or whatever the art is, you know, true art expresses our um, unseen worlds. And it, it's, it's, it makes manifest, the unmanifest manifest. I mean, that to me is what art and creativity really is. Right. And as we apply corporations to control the art, then it also controls that marketing. narrative as well. Yeah, it's exactly. And, it's, and now creativity comes out of marketing. Right. It's not marketing, you know, aiding creativity. It's creativity. It's, it's marketing, creating the creativity so that it can make money off of it. Um, so we've gotten, you know, we've gotten sort of off track and, you know, everyone is sort of, you know, I, I remember having a dream, I just got an image of, of a dream I had years ago and I was walking back from somewhere and I'm very peaceful and calm and I'm just sort of coming back from somewhere I had been and I had all this knowledge and knowing inside of me and there's a, there's sort of a big glass window and I see my, I see myself running very hectic and frantic the other direction and I see myself and I'm really I could tell I'm totally stressed out I'm trying to get somewhere and I and I start banging on the window to try to to try to get the attention of my other self to say look it's okay slow down wherever you're going you don't need to get I've been there I'm coming back from it everything's cool and I couldn't get her attention. And she ran by me, totally stressed out. And I look at that as, you know, that's where that stressed running as fast as we can, that's where we are now as a civilization. And what we need to do is sort of, calm, you know, go into this calm space and really do this inner research of ourselves and get to know ourselves, get to know each other and get to know the planet and then realize, okay, here we are now. Now, what can we build for the future? Because, you know, particularly America has always been built on the American dream, which is making the world better for our children. Well, if we look at the world right now, we're not making it all that better for our children. I mean, they're, they're totally stressed out. Children are committing suicide. Um, they're, it's, it's a mess. And so we need to kind of slow down and really look at our humanity again. And it's not that we can't have advertising and we can't have all these corporations, but these should all be serving humanity, not humanity serving corporations. And yeah. I think that's the shift we have to make. And it's a big shift and it's a hard shift because it's not going to come easily, you know? And that's, you know, I mean, you know, we're, this next year is gonna be a very intense year on the planet. And more and more people are going to be finding themselves in positions that they never thought they'd be in. And, you know, I encourage people when they find themselves in these positions to realize that maybe this is the time to really do your internal universe search and really go in there and really start being open and honest with other people saying, 
I'm suffering. Right. I'm really struggling, you know, and, you know, and then let someone else say I'm struggling too and, and see where that leads you, lead both of you. Because once we start being honest with one another, I think we can change things very quickly. I agree with you. Okay, so this has been a lovely conversation and I think we're about time to wrap up, but there's one last question um, that I like to ask my guests and that is, okay, this will be great with your past advertising life. If your inner voice had a billboard, what would it say to the world? Huh. Um, I'd probably say the answers lie in the heart. I am, I believe that the heart, the heart actually has a bigger energy field than our head. And that has been documented by science. Our mind is not, does not have as large energy field as our heart does. We just don't spend any time in our heart because it's where we store our trauma. So when we go into our heart, we've all had our heart broken by something in our lives. So we, we don't trust our heart. We trust our mind because it allows us to navigate life to the best of our ability but we don't really trust our heart. And I believe that our heart holds the answers to our future. And I think the more people that are willing to take the risk of going in there um, and learning about what's in there and then connecting their heart to other hearts, I think that's, um, that's really the future that we want to inhabit. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, Whitney. Thank you so much for joining me this week. If you're listening and you like what you hear, please consider subscribing and rating this podcast as it really helps get this podcast out to other people who might be interested in hearing it but don't know about it yet. And also, if you'd like to contact me or reach me, you can reach me at unconditioningpodcast at gmail.com or unconditioningpodcast on Instagram. Thank you so much. And until next time... Stay tuned in to you.